Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss privacy, massages, and witchcraft. But first, a word from our sponsors. Entrepreneurs, take your website from dream to reality with HostGator. HostGator has all the tools you need to build a great-looking website fast, which is great because doing things slowly is a horrible idea. Their drag-and-drop features and mobile-friendly templates make it easy to design a site that's perfectly customized to your audience. Not to mention, HostGator's 24-7 expert support is always available to assist you anytime you have a question. Right now, you can get 60% off by visiting HostGator.com slash tomorrow. Do it right now. Don't hesitate. Attack the internet like a wild animal, like a wild gator with HostGator. USAA is passionate about what they do, ensuring the financial security of the military community and their families. As an employer, USAA creates conditions for employees to succeed. USAA is hiring for customer service reps, designers, developers, insurance, banking, and more. Visit them online and see over 200 jobs available. It's an organization that provides opportunities for you to collaborate, create, and lead. Find your purpose with USAA. Visit usaajobs.com and join the team. My guest yes. today is a new addition to the Outline team. He's a brilliant writer, very smart guy, uh, and also a sports fan, which is a whole new world that I'm experiencing. Um, I'm, of course, talking about Andy Martino. Andy, thank you for being here. Sports fan, Josh, I want to clarify a little. One cannot be in that disgusting <laughs> world uh, as a journalist and emerge a fan, but I am uh, interested in the topic. I'd say fair to say more than you, which is where your adjustment is probably coming in. So wait, so what you're are you what you're saying is that you don't really consider yourself a fan of sports? You know, fan is such a complicated question when you cover something or like it is a down and dirty world, but the I I would simplify it best this way. I think that sports is on enough people's radar in this country where it, I'm a fan of looking at it and examining at it, writing about it, criticizing it, but it's a pretty it's a pretty evil thing uh that does bad <laughs> things to people. It takes well. your money and and reinforces terrible values. And, and if, if we're talking about football, actually dents your brain. So no, I wouldn't say fan. That would be a little okay. too positive. Well, I mean, it's interesting. We have the same thing. <laughs> we should actually, I should, I should clarify why we're even talking about sports. So Andy was at the Daily News before he joined the outline. Um, and he's, uh, he goes on TV, you go on, what is your, what is the show called? Yeah, I'm on a show uh, called Baseball Night in New York, which is on at 6 p.m. in the winter. And then we go on live after the Mets postgame shows at night. Uh, during the summer, and we talk about baseball, and then I'm on another show called Daily News Live, which is funny because I don't work at the Daily News anymore, but they like me well enough where they keep putting me on, and that's where we talk about football, basketball, issues, whatever's going on in sports. So yeah, three three times a week or so. Right, and not a sports fan, interesting. But yeah, anyhow, I'm, it, I should just say, I met Andy, um, and we started talking, and, uh, and he's written some really, really smart, beautiful stuff. In fact, we're going to talk about this Richard Simmons piece that he wrote way back in like the middle of last year that uh, predates all of the Richard Simmons stuff that everybody's talking about now. But, but um, one of the things that I was like, I remember after our first conversation, I'm like, I like him. He's so smart. He's got good ideas. <laughs> he's, he's got this sports thing. I don't know if we're going to be able to, if it's going to, we're going to be able to align, but it almost uh, cost me the job. My history as a no, sports journalist. No. <laughs> is that what you're saying? No, it was, but it was like, okay, wow. This is my first like legitimate, um, sports, like a sports writer that I'm going to be working with, which is funny. Cause, cause you know, I, I was at Vox, you know, like I co-founded Vox, which is, has SB nation. And it's like, mm -hmm. uh, lots of sports guys over there, it's guys and girls. Um, and anyhow, the point is that Andy 
is a man, he's a Renaissance man. And he's <laughs> he writes, he talks, he goes on television. But he wrote, one of the things I want to talk about is that this Richard Simmons story. So everybody right now is talking about this podcast. Um, it's called Missing Richard Simmons. We wrote a little piece on Andy Diddley. It's actually, the first thing he wrote was a little piece on that show and kind of what's going on with Richard Simmons. If you don't know, and I'm just going to say this because there are people listening to this podcast who probably have no idea who Richard Simmons is because he kind of has disappeared. He literally has actually disappeared. But Richard Simmons is this like workout guru who has been on television for like 40 years straight talking about exercise and being healthy. He's like the original like wellness guy. He's the original like health mm -hmm. guy. And um, it, really wild, totally out of his mind, totally hilarious. Like when I watched Letterman, when Letterman was on at 1230 doing late night, he would be on, he was one of those recurring guests that you'd see on all the time. And it was like always just a bizarre, like uncomfortable, bizarre, but hilarious conversation. But anyhow, so uh, Andy, you, when was this like last year, early last year? Yeah, um, uh, last March the story ran, yeah. Yeah, and so you started looking into this, the, the fact that this guy, um, who I grew up with, I mean, I knew him, he was always on television, mm -hmm. had essentially like disappeared from the public eye. Can you talk, can you give us a little bit of a background on on him, anything that's pertinent, the story? Because I really want to get into this because now everybody's talking about yeah. it. But you started exploring it way before there was any kind of public outcry or any notice of it. So give me a little background on that. Well, it started, we had just launched a few months earlier a long-form journalism team at the Daily News. Our, our editor-in-chief was a guy named Jim Rich who had this idea that if you did like, w attempted like, whatever, New York Magazine or, or GQ-type, ambitious-type long-form online at a tabloid, would people click on it? And we, and we tried a couple different things, and he had sent me, I, I want to say in December... You know, a year ago, this past December, he sent me a little a little item from TMZ saying, you know, Richard Simmons hasn't been seen in two years. Friends are concerned. Maybe like two graphs. And it was like, let's look into this. And so I did as much reporting as I could from New York. And I ended up on the phone with a guy named Mauro Oliveira, who's prominently featured also in the podcast, Missing Richard Simmons, who was a former masseuse of Simmons and close friend who was claiming to me as I was talking to him on the phone that Simmons was in some trouble and some distress as a result of being controlled by his managers, uh, maybe most interestingly by his housekeeper and his brother who wasn't helping him, his brother who lives in New Orleans where Simmons is from. So at that point, my editors were like, yeah, go to LA, go to his house, figure this out. That sounds interesting. And I ended up driving all around Hollywood with, with Morrow, this guy who was uh, trying to... Uh, find Simmons himself, who had been cut off from him, and accused Simmons' housekeeper, Teresa, this woman, Teresa, who's been with him for 30 years, of using witchcraft to control him. And I think that once we had the word witchcraft in the story, uh, that was attracting a few clicks. <laughs> and so we reported that out. Uh, I spent about a week in L.A. and did more on the phone when I got home. And uh, the key there was getting Morrow to speak on the record with these claims because I don't know that we were going to run them without uh, his name attached. So con convincing him to, to go on the record, and then that was the story. We then I wrote it, 6,000-word piece. It took some time to edit, and it ran. It posted on a Saturday morning 
Uh, and we'd run a couple other stories at that point that had maybe done, I want to say, fifty to 100,000 page views each. And by, uh, mon- by that Saturday afternoon, when it had been up for a few hours, Richard Simmons is trending on Twitter, trending on Facebook. We'd already surpassed like two million, million and a half, two million page views. I'm getting calls from the Today Show, from Access. I'm Skyping with Access Hollywood and Billy Bush pre pre Trump scandal. And so this is before Billy Bush. This is a B- Billy Bush who was just my, um, merely annoying, not actually an evil person. Well, um, secretly, but we didn't know the extent of it. Well, yet. we didn't know right. he was e- always right. evil, always right. evil. Um, okay, so the story blew up. And, and then, and you know, that's actually one of the reasons that I wanted to work with you is that story and a handful of some of these other stories that you did, these longer pieces, um, which I think are really, really smart. And that story is like so good because it's, it's really, you could say, well, who cares, right? Ah, it's just some fitness guy, you know, but the, but when you read the story, it's like, there's so many layers that are one on the one hand, you're like, wow, I really worried about this guy. Cause because mm-hmm. and you hear this now if you listen to Missing Richard Simmons, which and I want to talk about that in a second. But the thing about Richard Simmons that I kind of wasn't as aware of, I knew that he was this you know very famous guy who talked about exercise all the time. But really, he's really like the like such a sweet, kind, giving person. Like you hear these stories that people tell on this podcast, and it's like wow, this guy, you know, and you write about it too. Uh, and it came from like a pretty tough, you know, he had a pretty tough uh, childhood and, and he really is like, a like almost like a saint, like just a guy who seems to have spent a lot of his time and life trying to help other people. So you start mm-hmm. to feel like this other emotional, um, sort of connection to him. And, and so anyhow, the, so you write the story, it blows up, everybody's talking about it. And then like, I don't know what, what it was it like two months ago or three months ago. I don't know when this happened. A new podcast launches. It's called Missing Richard Simmons, and uh, who's the who is the host? His name is Dan, his name is Dan Taberski. Yeah, Dan Taberski. former Daily Show producer who knew Simmons uh, a bit. Took some classes with him, and then actually ended up doing some double dates or uh, social socializing with him. Uh, right in the period of time before Simmons fell off the radar. Right, and and so, and he starts basically. He's kind of picking up uh, in some way where you left off. I mean, you guys cover some really similar ground. I mean, mm-hmm. um, his story is is largely drawn. I mean, there is a there is seems to be a story, and uh, it, it's you know this witchcraft stuff is a part of it. Um, so tell me, so tell me like uh, a little bit about this guy Morrow. He was his. Richard Simmons' masseuse, or yeah. right? He was like his masseuse, but he was also his assistant or something. Yeah, yeah, they were very close. Did, um, did he did his did he live with him? He did not. Uh, they traveled together. Uh, they uh, Richard one year for Morrow's birthday uh, actually paid to replace a, a well, like a water well. Uh, this was in the podcast and also in my story in in the orphanage that Morrow had grown up in. So they were real tight. Had an intense interpersonal relationship, and then Morrow was one of the last people. The reason he's a good source for me and for Dan Taberski is that he was really one of the final people who was cut out of Simmons' life. So he has a more recent view of the interior of that home and and the weirdness of that world uh, than really almost anyone else beyond the housekeeper, the brother, the people who aren't talking to anybody. Right, and so basically like, 
if you guys, if you haven't been listening to this podcast, it's a very, it's a really good podcast. It's really interesting, but essentially the storyline that, that that you paint and also this podcast is painting is, is um, Richard has this housekeeper named Teresa uh, and she, they have some kind of relationship that is apparently goes way beyond a normal like housekeeper and employer relationship. And, and Morrow says, like you mentioned it, that, that she is using witchcraft, mm-hmm. like actual witchcraft, <laughs> to keep Richard from leaving the house and from reaching out to friends and family. Mm-hmm. So can you take me a little bit through like his justification for that and what he saw or what he knows that would suggest that that Richard Simmons is being is somehow I mean look I don't believe in witches or ghosts so to me it's like completely impossible that there could be witchcraft at play but can you explain to me how like where what what is that all about Well I had the same reaction as you probably would have Josh uh when I heard it well it, it was like I I mean there're two reactions I had number 1 like I could, when you hear a word like that, like the the part of you that wants to write a compelling story that people read is having going ding, 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 there it is. There's the lead, you know, but you're also, right. your skeptical side of your brain is thinking, what are you talking about? And if I'm going to print this, we got to talk more about this. The first time the word witchcraft came up was in this ebook that Morrill wrote called King Rich and the Evil Witch, which is a written like a kid's fairy tale. I mean, this stuff is just amazing. And it's written like a kid's fairy tale uh, about a guy named King Rich and the evil witch, who's named the Witch Boreza, who is clearly based on Teresa and uses witchcraft (laughs) to control the King Rich who rules his kingdom and is this wonderful guy who's obviously based on Simmons. So that was the first witch thing. And then when I started asking more about his ebook, we talked about the term witch in the title. He told me, no, I really believe that in real life she is a witch and that she's using witchcraft to control Richard and keep him in his house. And I think I said something like, what? You mean literal witchcraft? And he said, yeah, you don't understand. You know, she's from Mexico. I'm from Brazil. That's part of our culture, these kinds of rituals. And you may not understand this. So I didn't, I mean, I'm, I don't want to be guilty of some kind of Western snobbery either, where I said, right. so, okay, I, I took it at face value and the way to handle that as a writer is pretty straightforward. You 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 attach his name to the claim, you lay it out, and you say, this is what he thinks, and this is how I reacted to it, which is all in the story. I'm not saying I believe it, uh, but <laughs> right. I, 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 I thought that moral making the allegation was certainly worthy of including in this whole wild story. Right. And 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 but did he go into the delivery? Like how is how would witchcraft be performed? Like is there yes. does, does he talk about spells? Are there incantations? Are there you know <laughs> I mean I know there's like some mention of sacrifices, like explain to me what you know of the of the witchcraft he describes. Great question. The answer is not much, which is why we only it only this is only able to be taken so far. I said, have you ever seen this? He said, sort of, no, but I get the vibe. So I made sure to print that too, obviously, to not exaggerate his claim. Uh, he, he he suspects it. He thinks Teresa's a witch. Uh, he was comfortable having that word attached to her. Uh, they have a very confrontational dynamic in terms of access to Simmons. So 
one could certainly take a look at that and and wonder about it. Uh, but he wasn't able to get into too much detail about what the rituals were in relation to that. So that's kind of where that stopped. And it, it wasn't a huge piece of the story uh, in terms of length and what I wrote or what Dan Taberski has put out there. But it is obviously the thing that grabs people' attention. That grabs people's attention and generates headlines and gets. Uh, his Simmons representatives to issue denials and, and all that stuff because it's obviously a sensational claim, right? And and I mean, he you know Richard Simmons is obviously has a huge amount of people around him uh, that are you know support his career essentially, right? Um, you've got his manager and his publicists and agents, I assume, and I, I I know you talk to some of these people. They they don't do they not seem troubled to you about this situation? The circle's pretty small at this point. Uh, Teresa would never return phone calls or emails. She hasn't spoken at all. There's two guys that are like manager types, uh, Michael Catalano and Tom Esty are their names, and they've both been with Simmons for decades, and they both issue continue and repeated everything's fine, nothing to see here type statements. Uh, Michael Catalano was good when I was reporting and that he would get on the phone with me and refute or respond to the claims that Oliveira, more Oliveira and others are putting out there. It's not that it's not that these guys are not accessible, but they say everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And they're the only people and who've been around Simmons who will claim that the other person who still seems involved in his life is Lenny Simmons, Richard's brother, who I called, he lives in New Orleans. I called a woman who I presumed to be Lenny's wife, Kathy, picked up the phone. I identified myself as a reporter. She said, we have no comment. And I said, I haven't asked you anything yet. She said, no comment. <laughs> Click, slammed on the phone. So that we, I printed that. It's adding to the weirdness. It's like, well, if there's nothing going on, just like tell me that calmly. So that happened. And then there's Catalano and Esty, the two manager uh, type guys. And there really isn't a whole team other than that. There's a woman who apparently does his social media, who hasn't talked to me or to Dan, I don't think. Uh, and that's really, the, that's kind of it because Richard has really ghosted a lot of the people that were around him in his gym, the people who came to his house, the people we hung out with socially. There's so many people who consider themselves inner circle who Richard has cut off. And that's really the issue here at the heart of this right, whole thing. That's so interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating that... Um, you think that, well, obviously, you think it's one of some, one of them would maybe go off the record or, or at least to talk about this stuff. And I'm not saying that maybe somebody did and you can't talk about it, but it seems crazy to me um, that this situation could, but this is, you know, and you touch on this in your article, this is like Michael Jackson, right? I mean, you have these people around a celebrity who really protect them from it's it you know Prince. I mean, I don't know how what, what kind of management what people, Prince had, but you know, it's like these these celebrities are protected in a way and and given permission in a way to kind of do stuff that is so harmful or to be to live in a, such a harmful uh, position, and 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 it's like you would think at this point we would stop enabling this behavior, and I'm I'm sort of perplexed as like what is your read on? I mean, to me, this feels like a very destructive path for a guy like Richard Simmons mm -hmm. who's lived a life. Uh, uh, in public helping other people. You know, I'm sort of torn. Sorry, I'll let you answer that. But I, I'm sort of torn because when I think about it, I'm like, well, on the one hand, like maybe he is just like, I'm done, I'm good. But then on the flip, it's mm -hmm. like when you hear the podcast, when you hear Mr. Richard Simmons, you hear these people who 
who know him well, or at least seem to know him well, saying, you know, I, I've been exercising at Richard's studio for 30 years and we used to see each other every weekend or whatever, and now he's just gone. Like he just literally yeah. cut people off, like just stopped cold turkey from human interaction, which doesn't sound that normal to me. No, Josh, it is literally the only time I've ever been the nosy reporter where no one really told me to go away and everyone told me to please keep digging. And that really tells you something about the concern that people who care about him have uh, for his well-being. And yeah, there's the Michael Jackson illusion that was made. Uh, one thing that I thought of a lot was Brian Wilson, you know, the Love and Mercy film about the Beach Boys guy, Brian Wilson, yeah. where he was being controlled by a, a psychiatrist, his doctor, uh, a psychologically kind of fragile guy who had a tight inner circle around him that was very controlling and had to be ultimately forcibly broken free of this guy. And the allegation that Mauro Oliveira and if made on the record and a few others made off the record around background was that, hey, follow the money. He's an, Simmons is an older guy. He's in his late 60s. He doesn't seem to be emotionally well. And there are people around him who might stand to gain by running out the clock. And there are a lot of these friends who've been cut off that worry that the next thing that they hear about Simmons is that he died. Right. And that's what they're really afraid of, that this doesn't get solved before the wor word comes through that he passed away. That's I mean, not to say that we know is, anything about him being in failing health. Right, no, but, I mean, is, yeah. is, is his health bad? I mean, is it, it, it I mean, we, we haven't heard anything about his health. I mean, there's nobody's said anything about his health as far as- No, the only, yeah, there's no nothing concrete that he's in bad health. It seems- there's a lot of agreement that there's concern about his emotional state. He's been a really fragile guy his whole life. He was an obese child uh, that ultimately led him to to the workout thing because he's had he had eating disorders. He got beat up. He took diet pills. He like I mean, it was this terrible history of feeling t bad about himself. He he did all kinds of crazy stuff. As an aside, like did you know that he was an extra in Fellini's Satyricon you know, when he was obese? I didn't. I so, <laughs> so I didn't know this until <laughs> I listened to the podcast. It's like. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's crazy to me. Uh, is he now? Is he talk is, about an American? Is life. he now? Is he big in that? Like, is he like? Is he not like the skinny little guy that you know? I mean, does he look different? I haven't seen it, so I mean, yeah, I, haven't, I haven't watched. He's like the a scene. young guy. He was a successful commercial actor in Italy in his twenties, and he played like the fat guy in commercials and was an extra for Fellini because it's like a job that he got through this. That's crazy. And then he ended up in L.A. a couple years later going through one eating disorder after another and finally finding his calling, which was to open the Jim Slimmons and help people try to be healthy. But he's battled this like deep sense of uh, misery. Like his dad was really mean to him and ignored him in favor of his brother. And his mom was a traveling performer, vaudeville type person who was always on the road. So there's like really deep psychological stuff there his whole life that he's been battling. And friends are worried that it's caught up with him yeah. and then he's just not doing well. Yeah. So it's not, there's been no word of any kind of terminal illness, but people worry about his, 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 his mental state. state right. And if you've got somebody who's manipulating you, like, you know, it sounds like potentially is, is happening, you know, who knows? It's a very, it seems like a really crazy situation, but it's so, it's so interesting yeah. to, um, to see how all of these celebrities seem to somehow, well, not all of them, but so many celebrities seem to, no matter how well off they are, or how how you know, he never seemed normal, but he seemed like a guy who is would not fall into this situation, like a guy who helps people and is like very aware of like people needing help. And here he is in a situation where like he needs help, 
And I mean, it's crazy, but like, basically you're saying like, nobody can go into his house. Is this right? Like nobody can just go there and check on him. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right. You can't go, used to be, according to Dan Taberski, a couple of years ago when Dan had dinner there, there wasn't really a gate. You would just, I mean, he lives in like, it's like a Southern style white mansion up in the Hollywood Hills above Sunset. And uh, there's like, he's a real, he's big into Dalmatians. So there's like these like Dalmatian statues on this ornate front porch. It's a very Gone with the Wind type home. Right. Just in LA. And uh, used to be able to walk up to the front porch and knock on the door or ring the bell. But by the time I was there uh, uh, 13 months ago, there's a gate with no bell, no intercom. And I believe, I want to say another gate behind it, but don't absolutely quote me on that. But like, you can't even get anything close to knocking on the door. So if you want to go and just shoe leather it, like I did, you know, just try to, I I figured when I went out there, like, well, I mean, if I go to his house every day, I'm bound to talk to him at some point, but you can't even get anything close to knocking on the door. So uh, people who have managed to get somehow to bang on the gate or get Teresa's attention or get to the door before they put the gate up. Teresa, like friends of Simmons, Teresa apparently opens the door, says Richard's here, but he doesn't want to talk to anybody and shuts the door in people's faces. So that's given the impression that she's like the gatekeeper, which has given people a weird Right. Um, so uh, you know what we should do? We should take a quick break. I have some, some questions, some follow-up questions on this. I want to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Andy Martino. Whether working, reading the news, browsing social media, or communicating with family and friends, we're constantly looking at our computers, phones, and tablets. They're such powerful tools and essential parts of our daily lives, but all that screen time can strain your eyes and lead to headaches, blurred vision, and increased sensitivity to light. It can also drive you clinically insane. Thankfully, Crizal no-glare lenses protect your eyes from the glare of digital screens and the harmful effects of blue-violet light, which, by the way, is my least favorite type of light uh, helping to safeguard them from potential damage. What's more, Crizal lenses even protect against blinding glare from the headlights of oncoming traffic, as well as harmful UV light. So whether you're driving at night or out and about during the day, Crizal always has you covered in the eye region. They also give you the clearest vision possible by offering resistance to scratches and smudges, meaning no more fingerprints from taking your glasses on or off or damage from cleaning your lenses on your shirt or damage to your shirt from your lenses. And because Crizal no-glare lenses reduce distracting glare, your friends and family can actually see your eyes, not just your glasses. Look better, feel better, and most importantly, be prepared for whatever comes your way with clear vision. Go to Crizal.com to learn more. That's C-R-I-Z-A-L.com and start living life in the clear. Grover is here to bring you the best in tech in a new and flexible way, monthly subscriptions. No need to shop around for prices, spending hours reading reviews, Just rent it. No commitments, no minimums, and no hassle. Pick any product from everyday basics like MacBooks and smartphones to more specialized gear like high-end cameras and VR equipment. For instance, you could get yourself a new iPad Air 2, which I know you've been wanting. You sent me an email about it. It's actually a very alarming email. Uh, Switch your product, upgrade or cancel at any point. And if you love it, keep renting for as long as you want or buy it at a discounted rate. 
And Grover's available right now in New York City, London, and Berlin. Head over to getgrover.com and explore a range of the best tech that you can rent. Apply the promo code tomorrow at checkout, and you'll also get 25% off your first month's subscription for any product. Again, that's code tomorrow at checkout. Run to the future with Grover. with Andy Martino, we're talking about the disappearance of Richard Simmons, the story, the groundbreaking reporting he did that really cracked the case wide open, um, and the new podcast, Missing Richard Simmons. Uh, this is all fascinating to me because I love mysteries. I'm very interested in mysteries. And even if this guy's not a celebrity, even if this was just a random person and I heard this story, I'd be like, holy shit, this is fascinating. What is well, actually going on? One thing that, I, that I've been thinking while you were talking is that Behavior that's quite obviously not well, like crying in his his workout classes and his eccentric behavior for like years. And then this, it feels like everyone excuses it because he's famous. They're like, well, you know, he's done. But like people, like human people don't just get done and then hide in their house. Like that's mental illness, whether you're Kim Basinger or not. You yeah, know this what is I mean? like this. This is like um, Andy, you wrote you wrote a short piece uh, for us and you talked to Dan and mm-hmm. you talk about this Today Show, a call-in that he does, mm-hmm. which basically is like Richard Simmons calls the Today Show to prove that he's okay. And he's mm-hmm. like, I just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just taking a, br- I'm just done with, you know, being public or I'm going to take a break or I'm going to take a rest. And all the people on the Today Show are like, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. He's just sure. taking a rest. Ridiculous. That was I like, mean, I was like, sitting, at, you know, that was the two days after my story ran and um, that's what smoked him out to make that phone call, of course. And like, I'm sitting there watching the Today Show, uh, and Simmons says, yeah, I'm okay, and then they come back in-house, and uh, Matt Lauer says something in very solemn tones, something like, and I think we should just believe him, and Savannah Guthrie's like, indeed. It's like, what? I mean, he, he, he pretends to be a journalist, but doesn't actually do anything that a journalist does. And oh, we man. actually, yeah. I mean, we, we, I mean, we have, we go hard on Matt Lauer actually, don't we, Ryan? We, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I, I felt bad at first making fun of Matt Lauer for, um, cause I wrote that piece about the Hollywood medium, uh, making fun of him for just like letting the Hollywood medium's insane claims go. And then I like was like, wait a minute. And then I thought about it. Matt Lauer let Donald Trump's insane claims go at a town hall event. Like he's not True. the guy to be putting in charge of anything like this. Yeah, no. And, no, and of no, course, he's not. That's true. Uh, although he did hush Hillary Clinton quite effectively at the same thing. So apparently, if you're, oh, no, as I long mean, as you're not a woman, <laughs> the, the, yeah, Matt Lauer's no. going to let you get off easy. But uh, yeah, no. So that was a good example, though, Josh, I think, of how celebrities and, and this this weird stuff can, some, can be enabled in a way that got, a, a Matt Lauer or Savannah Guthrie there may be thinking that they're on the celebrity's side, but they're not doing anything to help Richard Simmons by brushing this off. Because people who care about him are saying we'd like to get to the bottom of this, and by accepting the publicist line, that's that's just perpetuating what might be a real human problem for this guy. Anyhow, I think we can all agree that Matt Lauer is a real um, is a real is a real piece of crap. But yeah, uh, second that. So then, so yeah, so I mean, yeah, Ryan, to your point, you want 
uh, somebody to react a little bit more strongly when they just are like, I'm going to live inside my house now forever. Yeah. I'm done going out. Well, it's like Michael Jackson's face or Britney Spears attacking a car or like, like all like this right. happens over and over again. And we keep saying it's fine because they're rich. It's not mental illness. Well, it's also entertainment. I mean, but this is also part of the entertainment. Like this yeah. is what, you know, this is why tabloids exist. Right. So, and also, I mean, there is this fine line between what a celebrity wants in, as far as attention goes and what they get um, that they don't want, right? The unwanted attention. And I mean, this is, situ- it's it's funny because you it's like, what is the appropriate public response to something like this? And it actually, that leads me to some questions because mm-hmm. the, the New York Times, and I want to, I have some other, I, I want to talk about some of the follow-up here, but the New York Times wrote a piece about this, about mm-hmm. the podcast, but but the piece, the, the piece kind of suggests that there's something like there's something a little suspect in in uh, the 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 kind of framing and even the kind of existence of the podcast from hmm. from like Taberski's side, right? Like that that it's sort of um, there's some moral grayness there. It's weird because that piece essentially says that like TMZ shouldn't exist. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. in, in its argument that the documentaries about celebrities without their um, permission shouldn't exist. Like we shouldn't analyze any of these things. And what's weird to me is it's like, if so, if a public figure does something crazy and their friends want to talk about it and you want to make a documentary, that mm-hmm. all seems above board to me. The idea we should like ignore Richard Simmons yeah. and his but this, request. But is this is interesting. True. But this is interesting. I think, I think this is really interesting. I'm going to read a quote from the article. Is this what friends do? Turn their loved one's personal crisis into a fun mystery investigation and record it for a hit podcast? Mm-hmm. It has topped the iTunes charts for four straight weeks. Despite his claims, Mr. Taberski is not principally a friend to Mr. Simmons. In the podcast, he presents himself as a regular at, Sli- at Slimmon's studio who became friendly with the instructor, but really he was always a documentarian circling a sensational subject. Talk of a film documentary dissolved when Mr. Simmons cut off contact with Mr. Taberski. So there is something, because at the beginning of the podcast, there is, he's like, I wanted to do a documentary and Richard Simmons said no, but we became friends. And there is something kind of, I will say the tone of the podcast, there's like a weird sense of, uh, this is something that has rubbed me Well, Richard didn't say no. He wanted to do a documentary and then Richard disappeared. Uh, my understanding of it, and Dan and I talked about this when I went in for the interview, uh, at, which was at Pineapple Studios in Brooklyn um, in January. Dan said that he, very early on in knowing Simmons, had pitched the idea of doing a documentary. And he, his impression was that Richard was not saying – he was saying no, but he was sort of saying it in a playful way that at least led Taberski to believe – that eh, maybe the door was open a crack. You know that instinct you get when you want to do a story and yeah, you get but, to know it first. But keep, but Taberski, but this is but this is something that I was just about to say. It's like, and that's a perfect example where he made an assumption. He's got like, well, he said no, but maybe he was gonna. He there's this weird um, sense of entitlement that I pick, I pick up from listening to him. Like like I do think that there's a really reasonable case to be made, but like. And it is it is a mystery at this point as to what's going on, and like obviously he very much wants Richard Simmons to come out of this cocoon and and say, "Hey, I'm I'm okay," or say something. But there is a weird sense of entitlement, and there does seem to be this weird. It's like, you know, this is a business for Dan Taberski now. Is 
is right. is is chasing Richard Simmons around trying to find out whether he's you know being held but under a some spell uh and, and and there is a weird sense of entitlement where it's like he's not a journalist right i mean Dan Zabersky's not a journalist he worked at the well, daily he show worked, he worked at daily show which is another avenue which mixes comedy entertainment actual journalism real interviews like it, it, those lines i think have been muddy for a while yeah, especially and it's him. okay it's okay for them mm-hmm. to be muddy i'm just saying that that there is a tone about the podcast which is you do wonder like I, there have been times when i'm listening to it and i think well you know is this the best way like is this the best way like to me it's like find him first and talk to him and then run the podcast not like i, I assume he wants to like smoke him out like kind of like what andy would happen with your story mm-hmm. but but you weren't like, oh, if I write this story, Richard Simmons will appear, right? I mean, you were like, somebody should tell this story. Right. No, my goal was not – that is the difference, right? Like I wrote a self-contained piece. It, was a, it wasn't a series, obviously. It was a one long-form piece, whereas Taberski's trying to do this in, in – he's doing it in episodes, and what he's trying to do is smoke Simmons out to appear, and I guess the final episode, and – I don't. I mean, I, I'm skeptical. I've told Dan this that he's going to be able to get him because of Simmons' deep reluctance to to emerge here. Um, so yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think all these are good questions, and uh, it's it 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 could potentially lead to a very deep conversation about the limp, how, how every piece of art, or journalism, and creative work, and everything else is sort of self-promotional by nature so at what point does that become a little bit icky is it situational um yeah i i mean and i'm i'm looking through this i i'm looking through this amanda hess piece that you messaged to me here where we were talking and i think it goes kind of far with uh that isn't good enough for mr taberski it says so he rifles through some in social network interviewing people across his path i mean he's at the core of this is on the one hand, I think there's a genuinely altruistic and concerned uh, attempt to make sure that this guy's okay because the people who care about him are worried that he's not okay. On the other hand, there's something self-promotional about it because he's doing it publicly. It Was there something self-promotional about my long-form story? Of course. I wanted to write a good long-form story that people read, and here we are talking about it. Uh, and my new job a year later, you know? So that's self-promotional toward me too, but what do you sp- – we're not – this isn't a private business here, and Richard Simmons is not a private person either. So I, I, we're all I'm not saying we're, I, we're all being self promotional. Yeah, but right? I was going to say the difference is he used to be friends with him, so it feels like this is uh-huh. some kind of betrayal. But how is that different than Kathy Griffin telling stories about parties she went to that celebrities were at that they don't want her to tell that are embarrassing? Well, it's I, the same thing, right? I'm not even Except saying it's dark and not. I'm funny. not even. Sa- I'm not even saying that that this article is 100 percent right. I think it does raise interesting questions about just about the the nature of of relation of this relationship and of celebrity generally and also like where you cross into like there you know this is and I mean getting back to your point Andy that you were you were talking about or I think Ryan maybe you were we were all talking about it this idea that you know um we let things go because people are celebrities I think like the important part here is and it's funny, Andy wrote this piece about this thing, this little thing about Richard Simmons, and I edited it with him. And there was one part where I was like, before I'd listened to the podcast, and I was like, all right, you know, he he referred to him in some way, I can't remember what it was, like, 
And I was like, well, let's not be too dramatic. He's just a fitness guy. You know, he's not like, it's not like the Pope has gone missing or something. But, you know, when you get deep, when you get, when you zoom in on this, it's still, you're like, this is a guy, this is a really, really kind guy who's obviously suffering something really serious. And at what point do you either let it be because you think that's respectful? And which is this article almost argues, the New York Times one, let it be because it's more respectful to him or try to get help. But like, this is this weird middle ground where it's like, I'm trying to help him by making a product that it's meant to help him, you know? And it's like, that's a little, I think there is some grayness to that that's a little strange. It's a little unusual. Is this the best way to help him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If his, if his friends are really concerned about him, I understand it's like, okay, I'll make a podcast, but why not get these people, get 30, 20 people, 30 people, 50 people. There must be so many people that Richard Simmons has been in close contact with and take a bus out to his house and go out there mm-hmm. and say, we're not leaving until you come out and tell us what the hell's going on. Because, you know, a week before you you disappeared, two weeks before we were having dinner and we were exercising and you were helping people and you were on the phone with people. And now like there's like suspicious posts on your Facebook page that are from two years ago and you don't talk to anybody and your, uh, your, your uh, housekeeper won't let anybody see you. And you've got a guy saying she's doing witchcraft. And we just want to know, we're your friends and, and, and we're people who are close to you. Why isn't there some more personal coordinated effort? That's what, I, that's what I'm sort of not understanding about this. Yeah, I think that's a fair question. The bus to his house is a good idea. Uh, and without speaking, obviously, for Tabersky, uh, I would say that when you get, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Josh, this is a journalist, as someone who makes things. Uh, when you get that creative impulse, that creative urge, it's like, oh, this is a story. This is a thing. It's tough. Then you try to balance that with your humanity, frankly. I mean, look, I've written about my marriage. I've written about parenting. I've written about friends. I've written about things that didn't come into your life as like on the record, which you think, ah, damn it, this would make a great story. And then you're dealing with that. And that's, you know. But imagine, but but, but if a great friend of yours I'm just saying that I, I can, I think I can say this pretty clearly. If a good friend, I'm trying to think of a situation here, you know, where I knew somebody who was famous and they went missing and I was worried about their well being. How If I what knew would someone I who went, who went missing, just like my friend Ellen was walking by the river and she went missing and I think she was kidnapped or killed or something. She just disappeared. Is it weird for me to then like, deal with that publicly, like to write a story or start a blog. Like to me, this is more similar to like someone putting up missing person signs, but I guess their signatures on it. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think, yeah, I think Mm. there's something there, but I I will say like, listen, that you're right, Andy, that journalistic instinct, you're like, this is a story, right? Now, as a journalist, not knowing Richard Simmons, not having any connection to him, not having been in his house for dinner, I'm like, somebody should write this story, you know? If if I hear if I hear mm-hmm. a story like that, I, you know my spidey sense goes off, and you're like, "That's really interesting. Let's find out what's going on with that," because there's a you're you're several steps removed from the subject, right? If I know Richard and I have his phone number, and I've been to his house for dinner, what I think is it should I write a story or should I actually get him some help somehow, right? Like I I, I to me it's just it's just like it is an interesting place to to be. I can't. I can't actually imagine a situation where I considered, I mean, I don't think they were that close. 
And that's my impression is that he got to know him. Mm -hmm. He came to his house for dinner a couple of times. I don't know if they were like best of friends, right? Yeah, no, they socialized a handful of times. Right. So right. so maybe that helps. Maybe that makes it easier. I'm not judging, by the way. I do think there's a there's a little bit of a weirdness in that, in that um, you know, he's turned Richard's depression or whatever it is that he's experiencing or his abusive relationship or whatever it is, he's turned it into a pretty popular money-making endeavor. And, you know, I do think that creates some weirdness. Um because I'm sure I, I have no doubt he's coming from a really good place. It's just mm -hmm. like you know, my balancing that must be. I don't I don't know. I get why somebody would say that. I think it's a good discussion to have, and I wouldn't guess that he would that he would uh, that Tversky would object to having that discussion about where's the line between art and privacy and friendship and all those kinds of things. I think it opens up a really good discussion to that. Um, my sympathies. I mean, I don't know what my sympathy, my sympathies tend to lie on the, on the side of creating something as long as it's done with humanity and empathy, which I think this podcast is. Um, but yeah, you, it's a, it definitely opens up that discussion on tone right. and, and, and as I said, privacy and all that stuff. But I guess it just falls under the line of take podcast out of it and like think about memoir or anyone who's ever known a famous person and writes about it or writes about their private life in a memoir. It's, it's, yeah. um, well, but, but if you went to you dinner, mind, you mind what you if have, you went to right? dinner like four times at somebody's house, would you write a memoir about them? But that's my Kathy Griffin argument is that she'll go to a dinner party at someone who she kind of knows. And there's a ton of celebrities there. And then she goes on stage and does an hour of TV about it. And right. I mean, she says now she says I'm upfront about this and blah, blah, blah. But she wasn't always, she just told stories when she was on Hollywood squares, how Anna Nicole Smith was <laughs> mentally ill. Like, is that okay? Because it's funny. I'm sure Anna Nicole Smith didn't want mm. her to do that. Boy, there's so many there's so many different ethical uh, considerations here. Journalistically, no, that's yeah, not Kathy okay. Kathy Griffith's Speaking not, a, not a, a journalist. Yeah. No, right. So, but I mean, like, if I'm in that situation, I mean, Josh, I'm sure you have, just as I have, been in plenty of off-the-record dinners, lunches, drinks, parties with people who you would love to go tell the world what they said or did. And people would be interested, and we get a lot of clicks on it. And you didn't because you weren't there in that context. You were there as, as a social context or something. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's I mean, usually, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it's it's like it's like if somebody says, "Oh, I I fucking hate that guy who works at uh, this other company." It's like, yeah, it's not probably not a story. It's not worth a story. But you know, if you you know, if it was something that was in the was in the public interest, actually, I'll I'll mm -hmm. give you an example, a real world example from something recently. I was having dinner with somebody. They made mention of something that was, in my mind, a story, a pretty a pretty amazing mm -hmm. story. And I said to them right then and there, I said, can I use that? Or can I follow up on that? Or would you be willing to say something on, on background about that without your name attached to it? And we had a conversation about it. And, and, and I mm -hmm. think, and you, I'm sure you've done the same thing. But the point is like, you have con the context there to, I mean, you're, you're in the moment, right? You have an opportunity, right? Yeah, I, I personally, I, I'm not the kind of person who would write something I just overhear or just something that somebody said right. without saying to them. But you do do the right thing. Right. Like you said, that that's how my, we I, I wrote something for the outline, as you know, of course, a couple of weeks ago about uh, Republicans uh, feeling that, or saying that George W. Bush was super uncomfortable with Trump. And this is a good example. That came from, I was at a party 
and I was talking to a guy that used to work in the Bush White House who said these things, and and I'm talk I was talking to him in the moment, okay, but then like very very shortly after, I texted him and said, hey, that's something I'd like to actually go more formal on background with and flesh right. it out. So yeah, like you said, no, you Josh, gotta, and that's probably what should right. be done. I mean, and there's, yeah, there's, you can't. I can't just surprise him and write a blind right, item. Right, exactly. But you didn't ask George Bush is the thing. Like I'd be like Richard Simmons. He's talking to Richard Simmons' friends and getting their testimony as a like person with a microphone in front of them. And, and I think yeah, and I think that he is mm-hmm. doing essentially journalistic work, and I think that that's okay. I'm just saying, and I and I enjoy the podcast. I think it's really really entertaining and fascinating, and and I feel worried now about Richard Simmons more than I did after I read Andy's story and more than after I heard this podcast was happening. But it does, I'm just saying it, it's it's not like I'm passing judgment. There is, a, he, tonally, I will say just separate from whether or not this is good or bad to do. Tonally, I think Dan has this kind of weird, it's like a little jokier than I would kind of expect it to be in parts where you're sort of like, you know, this isn't funny. Really, right? Like, yeah. there's not a lot to laugh about. Yeah, here. it's a sad story. Like him going out to the to the tour buses and like performing for them a little bit. That was played for jokes, and it was like, well, if someone's waiting all day long to see fans outside their house and dressing in weird costumes and blah blah. blah I mean, there that is that could be, I guess, classified as eccentric, but it's also a very sad story. And you're yeah. not saying it with any like heft to the fact yeah. that he was spending days in a chicken suit waiting to take pictures and then they were like and then someone ran over his foot and he continued to take pictures that's a mentally ill person like if someone yeah, runs over your that, foot go to the hospital that that part was that part i thought was weird it's like he's like and even though he got his foot was run over he continued to take pictures it's like i would stop and go wait a second that? that's not like, okay that's, i mean the point was to say and by the way, everybody should listen to this podcast because it's really fascinating. But every but the point was to say, wow, he was so gregarious and so outgoing, and he would you know stop at nothing to take pictures of his fans. But it's like, yeah, he would stop at nothing. Like his foot was run over by a car and he was bleeding, and he was like, no, let's take some more pictures. That might be a sign not of how dedicated he is to the craft of being a celebrity, but how sick he is. You know, yeah, how like mentally ill. And just because he's rich and famous doesn't mean that like every choice that he makes is okay. Right. Like if you saw a homeless person who just got their foot run over and then they continue to do their thing, you'd be like, wow, because we all assume homeless people are mentally ill and we all assume celebrities are fine. And they're not like both well, of those I people are just people. And that behavior I, is not okay. I can see you're very passionate. You feel very passionate about this. I don't know that I would say that we think that all celebrities are like mentally stable. I mean, I think, I, I think we that- think that they're eccentric. <laughs> I think we think all their choices have some validity to them. Yeah, I, maybe. I just think most celebrities are dumb. I feel like, you know, the thing about celebrity that's interesting, and I don't think Richard Simmons is, but, you know, you see people and they're like, when they become famous, you think, well, they must have done, they must be really special to have gotten here. And like, being a good actor doesn't mean you're smart, you know? It doesn't mean that you make the right decisions. Yeah. It just means you're good at acting. And so, I mean, I, I, it's, we make a lot of assumptions just based on their status that may not be applicable. Anyhow, let me, I want to get back to the story. I mean, get back to the actual story quickly mm-hmm. because I have a couple of questions. So this guy, Morrow, who is your, your main, one of your main sources, mm-hmm. um, he wrote a book called, you mentioned it before, it's called- King Rich and the Evil and how, Witch. How many pages is the book? Oh, it's not long. It, it's, uh, gee, I would have to go back and look again, but I mean, maybe- 
30 to 50 pages or something like that. And he wrote this book prior to you ever talking to him, prior to anybody talking about Richard Simmons publicly, correct? And the book is like a children's tale where all of the characters in like Richard Simmons' universe are have like slightly different names. Yeah, like uh, Catalano, the manager, is Morano. Uh, So he didn't like him. uh, Right. Lenny... Uh, Richard's brother Lenny is Prince Benny, and so yeah, on and, and so forth. Does it and does it does that strike you as completely insane? It struck me as a detail that made the story more. But interesting. I mean, just like while <laughs> we're mean, sitting here, like I'm, he's an adult. How old is he? How old is Morrow? Morrow's got to be in his forties. Right, so he's a forty-something adult who's written a fifty-page or thirty-page or whatever children's book about Richard Simmons. I mean, mm-hmm. that seems really strange to me. I mean, like. Like it's not. I guess it's not surprising that that Richard Simmons would have surrounded himself with with characters that are with eccentrics, eccentrics yeah. right? But like, is 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 you know he's the only seems to be the only person saying that there's anything nefarious going on with this housekeeper. Like, is he trustworthy? I mean, we don't really know, do we? That was my main job in in deciding how to write or how to frame the story. Obviously, was determining how trustworthy he was uh, and. Uh, he So I had a lot of off-the-record. He was one of the only people that wanted to put his name to it, and that took some coaxing. I had a lot of off-the-record conversations with a lot of Simmons' other friends. or Some of them were quoted anonymously in the story. Some of them just wanted to be totally off the record. No one else made the specific allegation about witchcraft, which is why I was so careful to attribute that <laughs> yeah. uh, tomorrow. Right. But, but a lot of people felt that Teresa was controlling and that they were uncomfortable the way that she turned them away. It was was sort of the security guard for Simmons' life. So there was a lot of that being echoed. And there were people also I talked to that had read Morrow's uh, book, ebook, and said, yeah, I don't know if I agree with the witchcraft thing or have seen that, but I I believe that the general spirit of Morrow's take was 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 okay. So that made me feel better about using him as a, as a source. And also... Uh, factual details that Morrow gave me, like the, the 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 donation to the Brazilian orphanage, the well that checked out. I went through all the process that you go through, where I called the orphanage and all that stuff. And like, anytime he told me something, it checked out. Morrow showed me photos of some things that he told me about. He didn't give me permission to use the photos, but he showed me photos of a trip to Italy that I wrote about that confirmed what he described Richard as yeah. wearing, uh, things like that. So uh, he. I, I put him through the ringer in terms of reliability, and he could back up and, stuff. And and so, and so, and their relationship is not. It's not. It was it a romantic relationship. I mean, it seems like it maybe was, but there's no clear evidence of that, right? No, there isn't. He told me. Morrow told me that it wasn't. Um, oh, he so said. He said. He said it was wasn't. Left with. He said it wasn't. Yeah. Now, um, Dan Taberski was more vague about it, and. Dan socialized with all these guys and said, I'm just not going to talk about Richard's sexuality was how right, Dan right. left it. Uh, well, he also so, talks about, anyway, they were, talks about that, that, that Simmons has talked about it publicly and has been very vague about um, his relationships yeah. and his sexuality and, you know, which is like, I, I don't care one way or the other. I'm just trying to understand the relationship between, because this guy, this guy's right. like a masseuse. Well, they're very close emotionally. Yeah, but he's way, like a masseuse right? and an artist. And, you know, even in the story that he tells about when he was told to leave the house for good or never to come back, he's like, come on, Richard, like, let me give you a massage. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, here's the thing. As a gay man, 
I'm not comfortable outing anybody, but if you're taking your masseuse on vacations with you and not <laughs> talking to your friends and you're very cagey in public and when someone asks, like, who do you live with? My housekeeper. I don't think it's like a skip, hop, skip, and a jump to say that masseuse isn't, like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm be, okay making well, jokes I'll, about I'll, John Travolta. I'll, I think this Richard Simmons stuff, while it's, like, for the, a journalist to say on the record, it's really not great. For us to say, I think we, like, me and Josh can say... Seems like he was banging the masseuse. Like, wait a second, wait a second. Why am I being pulled into this? You could say it. You just attributed that to <laughs> yeah. Josh. For oh, that no, I, thought, that, I thought you were perhaps. I, listen, I think I'm he's banging saying, the masseuse. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying there that there's a. There's something more to that relationship that we're oh, not hearing okay. about. Sure, okay. thanks. No, I'll but say also, it. He was banging this masseuse, and they but, were both keeping it a secret. But what's so interesting about it is because when he talks about the this. This, by the way, I can't fucking believe we're uh, having an entire show about Richard Simmons. That's the other thing. Like, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, if you're like, Josh, do you think any of your episodes of the podcast will be completely dedicated to Richard Simmons? I probably would not have. Well, actually, actually, now that I think of it, it sounds about right. Um, what if they said, Josh, would you have ever hired a former sports No, I mean, writer? that would have been less believable. Less believable. I would have been like, no fucking way. The Richard Simmons thing, 50-50. But that... Um, so, so look, anyhow, but getting back to this, uh, this situation, I'm just trying to kind of understand because there's this like tension between, you know, that you kind of read and hear about, uh, in the story and now on the podcast where there's this like huge tension between the housekeeper, Teresa and Mauro, the masseuse, which is like, by the way, just, you could not write, if you wrote this shit in a book. If you were like I, I've written not not King. This Rich. is the worst episode of Desperate Housewives. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, what it's saying. like if you wrote this, if you wrote this down, and this was your plot: the the, the masseuse and the maid are fighting over the re- reclusive fitness guru. People would be like, "Yeah, it's a little unrealistic." But I think. <laughs> Just a do you think that if if Teresa had been a male employee who was living with him for thirty years or whatever the story is, wouldn't it be way more obvious that they're the Svengali who's controlling the sick celebrity? But because she's a woman, we're like, well, we don't want to infer. Well, that- I know, but hmm. but he's re- but he's he's talked about her. They clearly have a very, uh, I mean, they clearly had a very affectionate relationship, or has still have a very affectionate relationship. But she's also his. She he refers to her as his housekeeper, right? Like that's how he technically refers to her. Yeah, that's like her, what she, I guess what she's employed as, but like what Dan Taberski describes is like going over to the house and Richard and Morrow cooking for Teresa. Uh, so it's definitely yeah, this a, shit's wild. A complicated. This shit, this and is I think you've been a housekeeper for 30 years and she lives with you except on weekends. That's going to get to be weird. Whoever you are, that's a weird employee-employer mm-hmm. relationship, right? Yeah, and, and and did he not have? I mean, Richard Simmons did not have like a personal assistant or something. I guess Morrow was his assistant, right? Or no? Uh, Morrow was his assistant, right? And then he has a few people who, as far as I know, are still kind of on his team, like a social media person. And he had someone that was helping him run Slimmons, but that closed down. So uh, yeah, he goes in and out of basically. Uh, Michael Catalano, um, Teresa the housekeeper, and Tom Esty. Those are the three people, the professional, other than his brother, that have been with him for decades, and he's kept with them. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I, it's it's such a strange little circle. I mean, and it's, it's it's impossible to be to penetrate it without hearing. I mean, you really need to talk to Richard Simmons, which brings me to my maybe close to final question about this, which is like, you've never spoken to Richard Simmons, correct? 
Correct. Um, Dan has not. Dan is not. Yeah. yeah. Like, how did you try? Like, what were your methods? What were, what, what, in what way? Besides calling his uh, people. Well, obviously, so the first thing is calling his people, told very quickly that he's not going to talk. You're not going to give up there. So all, my plan then was to knock on his door, of course. And then, as I described before, you can't get past right, the There's gate. no buzzer. There's no so, buzzer. No buzzer, no, no anything. So what I did every day that I was in L.A., at least once, almost always at least twice, because I really wanted to get a, like, look, sell, like, morally, I wanted to make every effort. And selfishly, I wanted to open the story with a scene where he's like coming out his door or yelling out his window or something and be the one that got him to talk. And so I would go, I would drive to his house, I would park outside the gate, and I would stand there for a while hoping to get noticed. And it never, it was all just stillness in the yard, in the house, nothing moved in the windows. Uh, nothing. So that was all I could really do to try to talk to him, and and he never emerged in the time that I was out hmm. there. I mean, it's 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 so. I mean, I would just love to just if somebody could get him on the phone. Are you still? What are you doing? Are you still working on this? You got something cooking? Should I know? Should I know about us? A hot story coming? <laughs> I don't. To be honest, you know, I think that there isn't until he talks and who he chooses to talk to. I, I mean, Dan Taberski's telling of. It's well told, and I don't think he would object to me saying that it's a similar story than the one I told. So until he is seen, and then and then as a result of my story, Simmons talked on the Today Show on the telephone, of course. So I think until he emerges, that's or, or something bad happens to him. I don't know how the stories move forward. I would I can say publicly, Josh, because I've told you that like I've tried to work certain angles to be someone who gets the news if he does talk, but I don't personally believe that he will. I, I think people have made so many efforts already that I, I don't think that it, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that an interview is coming. Somebody who, who has known Simmons a little bit uh, has made an interesting suggestion to me that I haven't said yet, and this is just speculation, but he said, you know what I think would be the one thing to get Simmons out would be if David Letterman came out of retirement to interview him because that would make Richard feel special enough. Like I'm the one that got Letterman to come out and the relationship that they've had over the years, that that could be the one thing that would do it. So someone just speculated that to me, uh, but that's- there's, That's interesting. There's, he's, we, we, know where he, we know where Simmons is, so I don't know what the story is at this point until something else moves. I mean, you know? there's no indication this is like a ploy. There's no indication this is like a- he's going to like reemerge and it's going to be a big deal and they'll do a special on CBS and the next thing you know, it's like every, Richard Simmons is back and he's got a new show. I have got no indication of that. I've been working the angles that I could. And look, if his managers who are no commenting everybody are plotting that, they've kept it incredibly under wraps. Right. So no, right. I'm not getting that vibe. All right. Well, listen. I think uh, I think there's not very little uh, that we could say about uh, Richard Simmons that has not been said on this podcast at this point. That I agree um, with. And uh, you know, look, I'm sure you're going to get a little. You're going to get some threads here and there on this. Maybe we'll write something on. I mean, honestly, I wasn't really interested in Richard Simmons. Like, that's the crazy part. Is like if if I had never heard about him again, I wouldn't have thought about it, right? And now it's just like you hear mm -hmm. the story and you're like, oh, suddenly I'm very concerned. Uh, and and very interested in the whereabouts of this guy. So, so you know, I hope there's some conclusion to this story, and I hope it's a uh, not a negative, sad conclusion. Because I, I feel like with like so many of these situations, like with Michael Jackson, it's like you knew that Michael Jackson was in a very bad way, and that the people around him were mm -hmm. not helping him get better. 
And so when he died, it was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, they let him die um, and even helped him in some way. And so I hope that the Richard Simmons thing ends in on a more positive note because because he actually does seem like a really sweet guy who's really troubled. And and more than anything, now that I like know about his story, I would just like him to get some help for whatever it is that is happening, you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I was left with a real feeling for him after doing all this reporting, reading his memoir, talking to people around him, everything that I did to construct the story. I thought it's a really gentle soul who's helped a lot of people. And I felt like I was not doing you know, gossip work, but that I was trying to do some good by putting this out there. And that's the spirit, I think, of the podcast, too, despite the discussions that are valid that we had earlier about it. And I agree with you, Josh, that I I, I hope that he's okay. I really do. I mean, I, more than just being a voyeur or a reporter, I hope he's all right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like definitely something that I'm sort of waiting on uh, to see some outcome. I just hope it's like we don't end up with some tragedy um anyhow yep. on this very upbeat note uh andy <laughs> and i'm <laughs> okay, andy thanks Bye. a lot man Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. Though I understand your family is being held against their will by powerful witchcraft, which is a very bad situation for you. <laughs>